Good to see everybody here this morning. I know that this is Labor Day weekend and uh, lots of folks are out kind of taking a, a, a three-day weekend and I hope everybody here has tomorrow off. If you don't have tomorrow off, just I'm giving you the day off tomorrow. So just, you know, just tell them that, 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 that the pastor said that I could take a day off and you shouldn't have any problems with that. So... Uh, but anyways, if you're here, if you're visiting with us for the first time, like Clay said, we are honored to have you, and we appreciate you being here. And Clay has been doing a sermon series on uh, the church, and of course, he always does an incredible job. But last week, or uh, I guess it was a week before last last week, when he talked about community and the need for community, you know, there's a reason why the Bible says that it's not good for man to be alone. You know, and it's not just pertaining to just having a, a wife. I mean, you can have a lot of people around you and, and be the loneliest person in the room. And so, you know, to grow relationally, you have to be intentional about doing that. Relationships are like checking accounts. You can't withdraw what you don't deposit. And so you have to uh, deposit into these significant relationships and you reap what you sow. And so, you know, if you think about all of the incredible experiences you've had in your life, memorable experiences in your life, how many of them happened by yourself? None. Because if you did have an incredible experience and, and, and it was an amazing experience and you had nobody to share it with, then there's really no joy in that. But... You know, God created us for relationships, and we were created for community, and, and it's important for us to be in relationship with one another. And so, uh, Clay's been talking about different aspects of, of the church, and today what I want to talk about is I want, I want to talk about the discipleship aspect of, of the church. Now, you know, we believe that there's five basic pur purposes for every church and every individual, and there are five words, and those five words are evangelism. All of us are called to be evangelists. We may not grab a microphone and, and preach behind the pulpit, but we're all called to be fishers of men. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so evangelism is everybody's responsibility. And a healthy church and a healthy Christian is evangelistic. The second purpose is discipleship. Discipleship is important because we have been predestined to be conformed into the image of the Son of God. And discipleship is simply following Jesus and in, in a small group and ultimately through that group of people, through the Word of God, through walking with Jesus, He begins to change us and we become more and more like Him. The third purpose is worship. You know, we were all created to worship, but Worship is not just singing songs and, you know, quoting lyrics from a projector screen. Worship is a lifestyle. It's the way that you live. You know, the Bible says that uh, we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable act of worship. So worship is simply surrendering your life to Jesus on a daily basis and allowing him to live through us. The next one is fellowship. And Clay talked about that last week. Fellowship is very important. And the last one is ministry. So we have evangelism, discipleship, worship, fellowship, and ministry. Those five areas of emphasis will produce a healthy, growing church and healthy, growing individuals. And so we need to look at our life and see if we are living out those five purposes 
And if we're not, then we need to be willing to make adjustments because the goal is for us to be a healthy church, not just a growing church. Not all church growth is healthy. And so it's important for us to have a a proper balance and perspective, and we live out those five purposes. But today, uh, I've got an awesome title for my message, and I know you're going to be fired up about it. It's called The Crucified Life. That's what I was expecting to get back in return there, but, uh, but, it's, but it's, it's all good. It's all good. But, uh, you know, the gospel is first we die and then we live. You know, resurrection life only happens to the degree that we learn how to die to ourselves. You know, it's kind of like dieting. You know, I don't mind dieting. The only thing I mind about dieting is those first three letters. I'm going to give you time to let it catch up with you. That dying is not something that I enjoy, but it is absolutely necessary. And what you feed will live and what you starve will die. But we are called to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about, and we'll give you an example of the life of John the Baptist, uh, of a man that Jesus himself said, of men born of women, there were none greater than John. John's whole purpose in life He was so singularly focused on preparing the way for Jesus that Jesus said of men born of women, there were none greater than John. The problem was this. John never lived to hear Jesus say those words. He was beheaded. He was martyred for the gospel before Jesus even spoke those words out of his mouth. But yet Jesus said, this man of men born of women never done greater than John. So we're going to look at his life and, and, and look at five characteristics of, of a true disciple. And then we're going to talk about the, the four levels that God calls us to when he calls us to follow Jesus. So I've got more points than a porcupine, but you just need to hang on, all right? If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to Luke chapter number 9. We're going to read two verses of Scripture here. I'm going to read out of the Amplified Bible. Luke chapter number 9, verse number 23. This is Jesus speaking. And notice what he says. And he says to them all. Now what does all mean? Talk to me this morning. What does all mean? All means all. That means it is ultimately, totally, and completely inclusive. All of those that desire to follow Jesus. So if you claim or, 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 or say that you are a Christian, then he is speaking to you. So he says to them all, if any person desires to come after me, let him deny himself, disown himself, forget, lose sight of himself and his own interests, refuse and give up himself. Now think about that. What does all of that encompass? That's a lot. I mean, he's saying, I want you to lay every single part of your self, will, desire, work, effort at my feet, surrender. See, the Christian life is there's a moment where we surrender everything to Jesus, and there's a moment-by-moment surrendering of our life every single day. So it's not just a one-time thing. Then he says, and take up his cross daily and follow me. Well, what does it mean to follow him? Cleave steadfastly to me. Conform wholly to my example 
in living and if need be in dying also. So basically he is extending an invitation to all of us to come and die. Now flip over to Luke chapter number 14 where you want verse there and then we'll, we'll pray. I'm pretty impressed with myself that I can actually read this small print in this little Bible I've got. Luke 14, verse 33. So then, any of you who does not forsake, renounce, surrender, give up, say goodbye to everything, all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, I don't know about you, but that is a terrifying verse of Scripture, isn't it? And the scary thing about what I just read to you is that God could say these very words and has said them to us. If you don't forsake, renounce, kiss goodbye to everything that you have, you can't be my disciple. Now, that's pretty hardcore, but let's break that down and see what that looks like in, in practical terms. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for everybody that is here. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that is moving in this place and in our hearts and in our lives. I pray that you take these few minutes we have together and that you would speak to us right where we're at. Lord, I ask for your help. I pray that you make up all my deficiency. Lord, I choose to ask you and surrender to you that you would through me speak words of life and direction and hope and strength and conviction so that Lord that we might be more conformed into your image and become more like you Jesus now bless our time together and we'll give you praise in Jesus name amen you know I have often wondered I've been pastoring for a while and for those of you that don't know we're in the middle of a transition that's going to take place I'm going to be transitioning out of of being a pastor and um, transition into a new place that will focus on local and global missions and, and leadership training. But, you know, I've often wondered over the years, what would our church look like? And what could our church actually accomplish for the kingdom of God if every person that claims to be a Christian dedicated themselves wholeheartedly for the rest of their lives to being and making disciples. You know, I've wondered what kind of potential, what kind of impact, what would this place look like? And I'm not talking about a building filled with people, but I'm talking about the, the impact that we could make for the kingdom of God if all of us individually and collectively resigned everything that we've done for ourselves, our own will, our own interest, our own ambition, our own comforts, our own convenience, and simply dedicated ourselves every single day to following Jesus and to be a disciple and to make a disciple. You know, there was a nationwide survey that was done recently where people were asked, now in this group of people surveyed, it included pastors and church leaders. But in this nationwide survey, that the people were asked, what are the goals or what is the goal of your life? And nine out of ten adults, again including pastors and church leaders, nine out of ten of these people 
out of all of them, none said that their goal was to become a disciple of Jesus Christ and to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Nobody, nobody's goal was to become a disciple or make disciples. If I were to ask you, what are your goals in life? What is your goal in life? What kind of answer would you provide to me? Now, it's important that we understand that we are called to be disciples and we are called to make disciples. Now, how do we know that's true? Well, the very last words that Jesus ever spoke on earth said this, Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe and to do all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. This was the last verbal spoken command of Jesus while he was still on earth. And his last command has to become our top priority. We've not completed that task yet. The whole world's not heard the gospel. And he said, we're not just to disciple individuals. He said, we're supposed to disciple nations. That's a big task. That's a huge task. It's going to require all of us to be totally active, committed to making disciples, being disciples, and making disciples. Now, the word disciple simply means learner or student. And discipleship can be defined as a process of the local church. And I want to just want to just talk on this point for a minute. Discipleship can be defined as the process of a local church that takes a new believer from a place of spiritual immaturity to a place of spiritual maturity who then in turn can reproduce that same process in others. Discipleship is taking somebody that is a new believer, a baby Christian, and taking them through the process, not a program, not a class, you know, not uh, Bible college, and, 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 and none of those things are bad. But discipleship is taking a baby Christian, the local church's responsibility, to take a spiritually new Christian who is a spiritual infant and bring them to a place of spiritual maturity wherein then that same person who has been taken through that process can reproduce that same process in the life of somebody else. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you have been taken through a process where you have been uh, come from a spiritual infant to a spiritually mature individual. How many of you right now are spiritual infants, though you've been in church for a very long time? How many of you have stopped growing in your relationship with Jesus? How many of you who were on fire for Jesus, you know, five years ago, have lost that fire for Jesus today? Are you still growing? See, you can't be neutral with Jesus. You are either stretching or you are shrinking. And so we need to be committed to doing the things that really matter. You know, Clay mentioned it last week. And, you know, it's not that in our, in our society or even in our church that we don't have committed people. The problem is people are extremely committed. Most of them are just committed to the wrong things. 
And so if Jesus issued a command, see, the Great Commission is not the great suggestion. You know, Moses didn't come down with ten suggestions and said it might be good if you could work this in your life. Right? He came down with ten commandments. And Jesus issues this same commission, the same command to us in the New Testament. He says, go, make disciples. And so it's not an option. He's not even going to return until this process is complete. He said, the gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the world, and then the end shall come. If, he, if we want him to come, then we must be willing to go. And sometimes it just means to go across the road across the county, across the state. Sometimes it requires us to go across the world. But you know what? He has called each of us to go and make disciples. But you can't make a disciple if you're first not a disciple. This is in your outline here. So the, the concept of discipleship itself is broken down into two phases, okay? The first phase, you can put that up for us. The first phase of discipleship is information, now, in order to become a true disciple, there is a body of knowledge that you have to know. This knowledge is called doctrine. Doctrine is important, but knowing doctrine doesn't make you a disciple. Actually, we teach you about church doctrine in next steps. And so we are... Uh, equipping you. We, we are doing things intentionally to make you a disciple. And this first part is information. We teach you what you need to know, how you can study the Bible, how you can grow in your relationship with God. But we have to be careful that we are not just becoming religious instead of becoming more like Jesus because like the Pharisees, you can know the book of the Lord and not know the Lord of the book. It's impossible, or it's possible for you to have a lot of Bible knowledge, but your heart be empty and void of true change when it comes to following Jesus. So there is information that we need to know. Teaching has always been a part of discipleship, but knowledge alone does not make you a disciple. Now, it will make you look smart. It can even help you win Bible trivia night. You know, it can help you, you know, look like you've got everything together. It can help you blend in, but it cannot make you a disciple. It will not make you a disciple. And now let me say this. Let me make it perfectly clear. You cannot become a disciple simply by attending Sunday morning. You, you can't do it. You know, Clay talked about last week, he talked about community. You know, there's over 50 one another's in the New Testament. None of those one another's can be fulfilled on Sunday morning. So, if all we do is attend on Sunday morning, then we are leaving and an, an absent of a lot of New Testament ministry that's absolutely necessary for us to grow and also to reach others. So we have to look at that and ask ourselves, well, are we doing what Jesus told us to do? So information's important. Now the second phase of this concept, not just information, the next one is application. In other words, as we learn and become more knowledgeable about our faith, there comes a time when you have to put what you have learned into practice. 
Let me say that again. As we grow, as we become more knowledgeable, we have to take what we have learned and then put that into practice. Herein lies the problem, at least what I have found, uh, you know, in, in at least the American church. You know, we are educated far above our level of obedience. I mean, we have been saturated with the gospel. We have been soaked. We've soured. Because here's what happens. When you don't put into practice what you've been taught, it doesn't make you more spiritual. It makes you more religious. And religion will take you straight to hell. Religion doesn't save anybody. Religion won't do anything for you. There comes a time when you have to put into practice what you've learned. That's called application. Now, teaching, like I said, has always been a part of it, but there comes a moment where you have to put it into practice. And Jesus perfectly balanced the difference between the two. Jesus both taught and he demonstrated. Acts chapter 1 verse 1 says that Jesus began both to do and to teach. You know, James 1 verse 22, it says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Listen to this one. Paul said in Philippians 4 9, Whatever you have learned, received, heard from, or seen from me, put it into practice. Those verses are in the Bible. And the question is this, what part of those verses are optional for you? What part of the gospel is optional for you? None of those are optional. As a matter of fact, Jesus took it up a level. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And my commandments are not burdensome. Some of us are at a place, we're so spiritually stagnant that it is a chore just to get up in the morning and come to church. Much less pray or spend time in the Word or do anything in ministry. I'm not speaking and I'm not preaching condemnation. I'm just saying it is a reflection of what's in our heart. I remember when the Lord rebuked me over that. Because just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I'm perfect. And you don't have to be perfect in order to be a disciple, but you do have to be faithful. But the greatest temptation in the Christian life is to do the right thing with the wrong heart. Very easy to do the right thing with the wrong heart. And I remember the Lord saying to me, he said, Donald, you don't love me as much as you say you do. And, you know, that was devastating to me because I would say everything that I do, I do because I love Jesus. He said, no, no, you don't love me like you say you do. He said, what did I say in my word? If you love me, keep my commandments and my commandments are not burdensome. Anything that you do for me that's become a burden to you is simply because you're not loving me in that moment. Remember when you first got saved, you loved everybody. You almost loved the devil. <laughs> the sky was bluer, the grass was greener, the spirit of Mr. Rogers come all over you. You know, it was, it was a wonderful day in the neighborhood. Would you be mine? Remember? Because the Bible says this is how we know we have passed from death unto life that we love the brethren. The most visible proof that you've really been born again is that you start to love people you didn't really love before. Now the problem is we have different levels of love and we've accepted the lower standard of love when it comes to loving God. Because we've got to work, don't we? We've got to eat, don't we? We've got to do a bunch of this and that, you know. 
We gotta, you know, we gotta gas the boat up. We gotta play golf. We got ball games to go to, right? Well, you know, did you know you're fully capable of doing all of those things and still keep Jesus first? Question is, in all of those things, is He first? Now I know this is not going to be, you know, it's hard to shout hallelujah and dance when somebody stepped on your feet, but it's still true, right? So there comes a time when we have to learn something, and then we have to apply what we learn. Now, in your outline, there's five marks that I want to share with you that teach us what it means to be a true disciple, okay? There's no way that you could possibly talk about or explain or teach on uh, the subject of discipleship in one service, in one year, in ten years. It's impossible to exhaust the subject of discipleship. But there are some principles that we can take out of this that maybe will help you in terms of evaluating where you are in following Jesus, okay? I want to use John the Baptist for an example here. I mentioned earlier that Jesus himself spoke of John the Baptist, and he said that of men born of women, there were none greater than John. John was a very passionate man, kind of weird, but passionate. He wore, you know, his clothes was, you know, Campbell's hair and, you know, his whole diet was locust and wild honey. He was quite uh, introverted until God really filled him up and, and released him to do his ministry because he spent a lot of time in the desert. And, and, and he was a very passionate man. And his passion fueled him to follow Jesus. And a matter of fact, his passion for Jesus started before he was born. Did you know that? The Bible says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And when Mary walked into the room and, and publicly announced that she was pregnant, the Bible says the baby within Elizabeth's womb leaped within her. Before he was even born, his passion was already there. But listen, passion has to continually grow. You, you have to continually stoke that fire. You have to continually fan that flame. You have to continually uh, 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 pursue the passion that you have for Jesus on a daily basis. Now, the first mark of a true disciple is that they have a personal relationship. John had a personal relationship with Jesus. And the Bible says that John was a burning and shining lamp. He wasn't just on fire before he was born. His fire grew after he was born, even when he was in the desert places alone, because he knew who God was, he knew what his purpose was, and he was going to live his life singularly for that purpose and calling God's placed upon his life. But the Bible says that, that he was... A burning and shining lamp. In other words, he was on fire. Do you remember when you used to be on fire? Before you got all your Bible knowledge. Before you got into a ministry position. Before you got comfortable in your pew. Remember when you were so passionate. I mean, Jesus rebuked uh, one of the churches in the book of Revelation because... They had left their first love. And he says, you know what? I know your works. I know your works. I know your works. But I still have something against you. 
You're doing all this work for me with the wrong heart. You've lost your heart. Some of you that are here this morning, you are doing all the right things, but you have lost your heart for God. That longing, that passion, that, that, that agonizing, that, 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 that desire that was once in you, it's no longer there. You know, it's strange how that somebody can get saved and be on fire uh, uh, in their life and then remain in the church, but five years later have lost that fire. What is it about the culture and atmosphere in the church that causes people not to love Jesus more, but to love Jesus less? You know, I often say this, but, you know, when, when I think of, of Caitlin, you know what? She's all heart. Every single day, every single week, she is all heart. She makes me want to love Jesus more. God, I want to be just like that. I want to be so passionate and in love with Jesus that I always give him my best, that I'm wholehearted in everything that I do. And we are to be people like that. John the Baptist was like that. Listen, he had like the law of magnetism. Because he was so on fire for Jesus, that either drew people close to him or they run religious people away from him. Listen, religious people will run away from genuine passion. Now, I'm not talking about chaos. I'm not talking about confusion and flesh and, and, and just getting all emotional. I'm talking about somebody that is flowing with the fire of God in their life. John was this guy. He was a burning and shining lamp. Did you know that's what you're called to be too? Let me say this. You were created to burn. Did you know that? And you will burn forever somewhere. You were created to burn. And you will burn forever somewhere. So let me ask you, do you still burn for Jesus like you used to? Now, second thing. Second thing is, out of the overflow of his personal relationship with Jesus, he developed personal convictions. And convictions are important because they set boundaries in our lives and we will not allow ourselves to cross those boundaries. If nobody else, if everybody else thinks it's okay, it's not okay to me. That doesn't make it wrong for them. It just makes it wrong for me. I mean, there's been times when people have made fun of me because, you know, they think that I'm radical and, you know, I don't want to participate in certain things and, you know, don't watch certain movies and I don't say... I mean, I'm talking about people that I used to go to church with. They'd say to me, here comes Moses. We can't have no fun around here. I said, well, let me tell you something. Five seconds on the other side of eternity to bless God when the flames of hell are licking your never dying soul and you're begging to God for one drop of water, you wish you'd listen to me. I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say that, but. <laughs> but there's convictions that come out of our relationship. You know, John believed in his God, but he also believed in his message. He believed in what he stood for, okay? 
In Luke chapter 3, verse 4, it says that it described John as being a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. You know, John fully understood who Jesus was, okay? That's why he said, when Jesus came on the scene in John 1, 29, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He didn't say, behold a lamb. He said, behold the lamb. Now listen, in our culture today, you can get on television and in mainstream media, you can talk about God all you want. But the time and the point when you begin to say Jesus Christ is God in the flesh and Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, you're going to have some serious problems. You're going to get muted. You're going to get cut off. You're going to be called a bigot. You're going to be called narrow-minded. You're going to be called a Bible thumper. You're going to be called this, 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 and this. But you know what? That doesn't change the truth. Now, we have to be responsible to communicate the truth in the right way, but you can't communicate the truth in the right way if you're not living in the right way. It's easier to share Jesus with people when you're living like him. I paused for an amen right there. I thought, man, that's, that'll get them right there. That'd be a good one. But it is. But when you're living like hell, you never want to open your mouth about Jesus, do you? I hear the crickets this morning. So there is a correlation between what we believe and how we live. That's why right doctrine is important, because what you believe determines how you behave. It's kind of like this. You, know, you hear me say it all the time. If, if you really believe that God wrote a book, surely you'd read it, wouldn't you? Now, how many of you believe God wrote a book? I'm going to turn my back to you. How many of you read that? Because the truth is, the only thing you actually truly believe is what you obey. Everything else is just religious talk. You ask people, Do you, read, you, know, you believe the Bible from cover to cover? Hey, you ever read it? From cover to cover? No. Well, how do you know? You know what? You know what's in that book? Look how bizarre what you say you believe really is. We believe that a dead man rose again from the dead and is coming back on a white horse in the clouds. Do you believe that? You're crazy. But yet we want to present Jesus as this, you know, well, we just need to get along with everybody and, you know, there's many ways to heaven and, you know. But here's the truth. If you don't have a personal relationship, you'll never have personal convictions. If you don't have personal convictions, you will never live a life that's going to impact anybody. And the longer that I live, the less I pay attention to what people say and the more I pay attention to what they do. But convictions were birthed out of this personal relationship. John knew what he believed in. John was a Nazarite which means that he lived his entire life set apart from the work that God had called him to. And, and in the beginning, even before his ministry started, he lived in total and complete obscurity in the desert places, and that's where his ministry was birthed. So we see personal convictions, personal relationship, personal conviction. Number three, personal mission. He believed in his cause. He believed in his God. He believed in his message. He believed in his cause. Now, passion always precedes purpose. 
Passion always precedes purpose. And passionate people are not passive. Passionate people are not passive. Passion pursues. But John lived his life with a sense of purpose and meaning, and his personal mission was so crystal clear that everybody knew what he lived for and who he lived for, and he had convictions that said, you know what, I'm going to live for Jesus, and even if I have to die, I'm willing to die for Jesus, and ultimately he did. But he knew he had a mission that would far outlast his lifetime. Here's the fourth thing. The fourth thing is personal transformation. Listen, you can't truly be following Jesus and remain the same as you are now. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that we're going to be changed into his image. That when we see him, we will see him how he is. He will see us. We'll be transformed. We'll be changed. We'll be taught. Look, if we're really going to follow Jesus, then one of us is going to have to change. Guess who the one is not going to have to change? So the question is, are you still changing? Are you still growing? Are you still following? Are you still on the cutting edge? Do you still have that passion? Do you still have that fire? If you don't, Something's missing, and it's important for you to find out what that something is. But he believed that the evidence of a changed heart is a changed life. He expected people to do more than just talk about repentance. He expected them to show them proof of their repentance. He said in John or Luke chapter 3, verse 8, Go and bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. In other words, repentance, the repentance that you experience, listen to this, is demonstrated by the obedience that you show. And let me just make clear about this. Repentance is not when you cry, it's when you change. It's deeper than that. Here's the, here's the last thing. Personal commitment. So we've got personal relationship. We've got personal convictions, personal mission, personal transformation, personal commitment. In other words, when he talked about commitment, he was committed all the way to the end. Did you know that Jesus himself said, and they must endure to the end, and the same shall be saved. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. Those that endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And commitment is not about how good you're doing right now, but whether you finish or you don't. And dying is not the same as finishing. You've heard me preach that before. Paul didn't die. He said, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I finished. Jesus didn't die on the cross. He didn't cry out, I am dying. He said, it is finished. Dying is not the same as finishing. But the truth is, very few people, when they sign up to follow Jesus, truly mean I am committed to the end. A lot of times we just come to Jesus and say, if you'll get me out of this mess, I'll follow you. If you'll work, you give me that girlfriend, I will serve you. 
Lord, if you just, you know, if you just pay my, my rent, whoo, I'm coming back. That's not repentance. There's the wrong motive that's there. And here's the last things I'm going to share with you. All on one slide. You think you was going to be here forever, didn't you? Here's the four stages that Jesus calls us to. Level one, he simply says, come and see. Come and see. This is the challenge stage. I mean, it's a very simple command. He just wants to see if they'll be willing to show up. I do the same thing every Sunday morning. I won't preach that this morning. But I know what it's like to try to lead ministry and the people that you depend on are not necessarily dependable. And I'm not saying when situations come up, I'm not saying when, when things happen, there's, there are really legitimate reasons why people are unable to show up, but... There's also some things that people have that are just simply excuses. And what I found out that Jesus doesn't forgive excuses, he forgives sin. So he just wants to see if they'd be willing to show up, so he challenges them. Show up. Just show up. All he's looking for here is to see if they will be simply faithful enough to show up. Now it's important to understand how important and significant faithfulness is. Being a disciple doesn't mean you have to be perfect. It does mean that you have to be faithful. I tell people all the time, God can only use fat people. Faithful, available, teachable. Faithful, available, teachable. And these are all tests that Jesus will give each of us as we pursue him and intend to become a disciple. So the first thing is he sent an invitation out. He said, come and see. Second thing that he says is, come and learn. Now this is the commitment level. You got the challenge level, the commitment level. He says, come and learn. Like I said, discipleship involves two things, information, application. But here's the truth. The thing that I've seen over and over again is that when people get born again, they really get saved. I mean, they love Jesus, they love the church, they love the Word of God, and then all of a sudden, they're able to remember a few scriptures, and the next thing you know, they're, they're busy putting everybody else in their place. They've learned it all. I mean, it's, it's amazing how much I've learned since I've known everything. But if you are unteachable, here's the truth, you're as smart as you're ever going to be. You know what my favorite saying was when I was lost? I know, I know, I know, I know I need to come to church. I know I need to pray. I know I need to read the Bible. Probably nobody else says that, do you? I know, I know. Well, it's what you learn after you know all of that that matters. Are you doing what you know you should be doing. James said, for him that knows to do good and not to do it, to him it is. I didn't write that. 
So what do you know that you should be doing right now that you're not doing? And instead of seeing it as sin, you see it as an excuse. Again, I'm prefacing back to the beginning. What could this church be? What could this church accomplish if all of us individually and collectively became a fully devoted follower of Jesus? They can come to music. Third level is come and surrender. This is a much deeper level. This is the conviction level. And what Jesus was testing now with his disciples is he was testing their obedience. Would these people, these disciples that said that they were following Jesus, would they die to themselves in order to live for him? And when God calls you to a new level of discipleship, there's some things that may not necessarily be sinful things, but they are in the way things that keep you from going to where God calls you to be. So come and surrender. Come and surrender. And when Jesus said what he said in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 and 35, the people that were, were, were hearing what he had to say, listen to what they said. He expects too much. This is just too much. The, 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 he's crossed the line. I know he's God in the flesh, but how could he ask this of me? I'm following him everywhere he goes, right? I'm faithful enough to show up. Might be because I'm hungry and he does fish fries really good. Might be because I'm, you know, super spiritual and he does miracles and I love miracles. Love them. I just like to come and watch. <laughs> Some people following Jesus just come and watch. Probably none of these people here, right? Somebody else's church. Do you just come to watch on Sunday morning? Well, Jesus is calling you deeper. And so he challenges their selfishness. He challenges their independence. He said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. You know what the Bible said in John 6, 66? I don't know if I put that verse up there or not. didn't. Jesus said this. And many of his disciples withdrew from him and walked with him no more. He didn't say fly by night people. He didn't say Sunday morning Christians. He said many of his disciples withdrew from him. In other words, they said, this is where I draw the line. He's too radical. You know, that's what I love about the gospel. I love the fact that the gospel demands every bit of me. I love the fact that the gospel demands that, that I have to be all in. Because we were created to be wholehearted. And the devil has been so very good at helping us become half-hearted at a lot of things and not have any heart for the most important thing. This is discipleship. You can't hardly preach this message. You have to just talk about it. 
Now, if our projector works, you'll get the last one. You may already have. And the last one is, go in my name. This is the commissioning level. This is where he tests their loyalty because he's about to go to the cross. He's going to die for the sins of the world. He's going to be resurrected for 40 days. He's going to be shown uh, in different places with many infallible proofs. Then he's going to ascend into heaven. Now get this. I still can't get over this. I thought about this this morning. Jesus entrusted 12 men, ordinary men, with the destiny of the church. And what was going to determine whether Jesus was successful or not was whether or not those 12 men reproduced what they were taught in the lives of other people. Jesus died for what? The whole world. His plan was 12 men. What would we do? We'd do a big crusade. What does Jesus do? He has a small group. The truth is your greatest impact will always be in your smallest group. You know, Jesus ministered to thousands and thousands of people, but can you remember any of their names? But he poured his life into 12 men over a period of three and a half years. Do you know any of their names? We're still talking about what he did in their lives 2,000 years later. Maybe the reason that we don't do what Jesus did is because we don't do what Jesus did. Maybe we've lowered the bar for discipleship or maybe we have defined wrongly what discipleship is. But you know what? If you just disciple one person in your lifetime, has not the impact of your life doubled? I'll be honest with you. That, that, that's why I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm transitioning out and transitioning to this new place, this, this new whatever you want to call it, because I want my life to count. I don't want to stand before you a hypocrite and preach stuff like this and not live my life and back it up. I don't know to what degree all that I have or all I would say that I have done for the, for the Lord will actually have any eternal value. But I know at least one thing that has and that is the churches that we have been able to plant in unreached people groups among people that have never heard the precious name of Jesus. Because my, my greatest fear is not standing before God. My greatest fear is to stand before God with a wasted life. And I, listen, and I have people, well-intentioned people that say, you know, gosh, Donald, you're going to get killed over there. And you know what? Don't you know what it's going to cost you? And, you know, how's, how are you even going to do this? I don't, I don't know. But Jesus said, before you say yes to him, you better count the cost first. But when I stand before God, I want my life to have made a difference. We've only got one life. You only have one life to live for Jesus. 
And once it's over, it's over. There's no do-overs in eternity. But I fear, fear God more than I fear failure. I failed a million times. But that's not a good enough reason for me not to do what He's called me to do. And it's not a good enough reason for you not to do what He's called you to do. And I just feel God. Just stand with me. I feel God calling us. Somewhere in this message, somewhere in these four levels, God is calling you onward, upward, forward. So let me ask you a question. What is your next step in becoming a disciple? Or have you already arrived? What is the next level he's calling? Is he saying, some of you, you may be lost. He may be saying, come and see. Come and see. Some of you, you know, you may have just started your journey. You've been serving Jesus for a little while. But he's saying, come and learn. Come and learn. Some of you, you've you've made it up your mind. You're you're going to get serious about God. You love God. That passion's burning in you. And, and, And yet there's some things you're holding on to that he's saying you're going to have to surrender. So he's saying, come and surrender. Come and surrender. Some of you, you have been taught. You've been discipled. You've seen examples. You've been in the church for a long time. You know what you need to do. And God is saying to you, go and tell. Go and tell. Go and tell. That's the message of the New Testament. He says two things. He says to the lost, to the lonely, to the broken, to the hurting, to the needy, come, come, come. To the saved, he says, go, go, go. Listen, he doesn't promise to be with us when we stay where we're at. He says he promises to go with us even to the ends of the earth. When we go, he is with us. And some of us, we're in a mess right now simply because we are still in a place that God never intended for us to be because we were afraid that if we stepped out and stepped into this new place, that things would just go wrong, that we would blow it, that we would fail, that that we would miss God. Listen, I'm telling you something. God has so much more for each of you, for me, for us. But it's just on the other side of that next steps of obedience. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would just search our hearts. Lord, we want our lives to count. We want to make a difference while we're here. God, you know my heart. and Lord, my my fear is not standing before you. My my fear is standing before you alone. Lord, I, I want to stand before you and be able to say to you that all of those that stand behind me this day have chosen to follow you because of what you have done. That somebody went, that somebody prayed, that somebody gave, that somebody was obedient. And Lord, now as a result of their obedience, many have come to say hallelujah, praise to the Lamb of God. you're here this morning let me ask you is there anything in your life that you are more committed to than you are Jesus the last question is this should there be anything in your life
that you're more committed to than you are to Jesus. You know, as they sing and as they play, if you're lost and you need to give your life to Jesus and you hear Him calling you, come and see, come and see. They're going to play and you're invited to come. If you're saved and you feel God stirring you to challenging you to go to a new level of discipleship and commitment to Him. He's saying, come and learn. Come and surrender. I'm going to send you to go and tell. So as they play and as they sing, this altar's open. Come. Let God work in our hearts. If it's there, God, just remove it. If there's anything in my life that I'm committed to more than you, reveal it to me. There's nothing wrong with praying prayers like that. There's nothing wrong with just saying, you know, God, I messed up. I don't know. I don't even know what he's talking about. But I feel you wanting to do something in my life. But listen, 